The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Gilroy, managing partner of the Oakmont Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy, managing partner at the Oakmont Group on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, John speaks with public and private sector IT experts about some of the IT trends and challenges facing agencies and industry. Now your host, John Gilroy. Welcome to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today, our guest is Drew Yanig. He is the industry practice leader, public sector, at a company called Bizagi. Is that right? Bizagi. B-I-Z-A-G-I. Bizagi. And we're going to talk about I-T-I-L and maybe a little bit about Drew's experience in the federal government. And and he's got this kind of philosophical opinion here where he thinks is a, a big change in the air, a big, big movement going to take place. And some people call it the fourth industrial revolution. And uh, before we begin in, um, believe it or not, Drew was on my show like 10 years ago or something, huh? 2008. I mean, wow. Yeah. You're, like, you're like a gray beard. You've been around, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> been around the block a few times. Actually, 2008 and 2010. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so tell us about your background and then set up this conversation, please. Right. So, you know, um, after 27 years you know, federal service and for those who've been kind of following, uh, I've always kind of been working process and process automation and trying to figure out how to make the government and uh, more efficient and uh, make processes operate better. Uh, and then I came across an opportunity I couldn't really pass up. And uh, so I retired from federal service and moved on to a company called Bazaji, which I think is really going to change the way people view process automation. And uh, we'll introduce this term called intelligent process automation. And we'll explain that as we go a little bit deeper. But it's going to, I think, uh, be a cusp of a revolution that's coming. Uh, so we're really excited about it, and I really just couldn't pass it up. And so, so here I am at Bazaji. So. Hashtag intelligent automation on Twitter, and, and follow along and see what's going on. I just want to set the stage. I hope the the listeners realize. So, so Drew was with the federal government for 27 years. I mean, he's been beat up and knocked around and seen all kinds of things, good things and bad things. And and after that experience, he kind of took a, an approach where he picked this company to work for because he thinks it's. It's the better mousetrap, or it's it's the best mousetrap for you, the people who are listening. I mean, this is his experience. I mean, he's empathize. I mean, if anyone can empathize, it's him. In fact, and he was with a rather sensitive organization too, with dealing with important information. So I think that's why I want to bring Drew and say, you know, you've lived, you've empathized, you've lived the life of my listeners, and and you have some perspective and insight that can help them in making this big transition. So tell us about this fourth industrial revolution. So we're getting, if I can, I'm just going to go back a little bit. So I mean, last time we were here, we were talking about uh, ITIL version 3 and IT service management. And uh, it doesn't really matter where you come from from a process perspective. But if you, you know, think, look back historically, you know, there was all these different practices. There was Lean Six Sigma, COBIT, ISO, Kaizen, Scrum, uh, ITIL version 3, and IT service management. And all these process folks were basically wandering around trying to make things better, make things more efficient, make things operate better, provide better customer service. And that gave rise to a series of companies. Um, some of them already existed but started to kind of bend their business model towards digital process automation. And so you see companies like BMC, Remedy uh, start to come out of that, ServiceNow, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, even my own company, Bazaji, 30 years ago, kind of came out of that digital process automation um, uh, you know, rise. And now, now the thing that, that was always interesting was that if you go back in those days, 
um, there was always this disconnect. Right? So the process guys would be looking at things, and I was one of those guys, and we'd be saying, we're going to make an improvement to this process, and we'd design a whole brand new thing. And then we'd hand it off to the IT shop, and the IT shop would go off into a closet, and sometimes it would take you know months later, and sometimes we'd see something, sometimes we wouldn't, and usually what we saw really wasn't actually even what we designed. So fast forward a few years now, the technology has continued to progress, we have, of course, now it's just kind of old hat cloud, right? So cloud is there. And then we start to see the rise of the bots, right? So ro robotic process automation. And then you start to see AI start to come into its own, right? AI has been around for years, but never really was quite up to snuff, was kind of a toy for a long time, and is now really starting to come into the age of where it's actually practical to use AI. And so then the confluence of those events... If you take into consideration, you know, RPA doing robotic process automation, actual physical robots, cloud, artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, and you start to combine those, you start to see this thing emerge called intelligent process automation. And what makes this different than what we used to do with the IT shop back in the day where we'd hand them a process and they'd go off into a closet is that out of that also came the rise of what we're now calling the citizen developer because the new tool sets like Bazaji are low code, meaning that I, as a process guy, in fact, I've done this in Bazaji, design a whole darn process and literally click a button and the application comes live. No need to go back to the IT shop, et cetera, et cetera. Turning what used to take, I mean, I mean if the process is small, I can literally create a process in a day and create an application and push it out. Um, and so the fourth industrial revolution, and in fact, ITIL 4, the 4 for ITIL 4, weirdly enough, stands for fourth industrial revolution, not version 4. A lot of people think it's ah. version 4, right, uh, is really predicated on the fact that this fourth industrial revolution is coming with the rise of the bots, intelligent process automation, and all of these capabilities that are really going to change the landscape of the way we do business going forward. We've already kind of seen bits and pieces of it, but up until this moment in history, They've kind of been disjointed, not exactly connected together. IPA starts to create that orchestration layer where it brings the whole schmear together and has huge socioeconomic uh, implications associated with that. My, my, my. Um, I remember the movie The Perfect Storm. <laughs> and everything kind of, you know, came together to have a terrible time for the guy in the boat. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And so is, is that the point in time now? And you can put this in historical perspective where we have compute resources readily available from places like Amazon. Is that why we're looking at it now? Is that just a confluence of, well, we got a lot of cheap storage. We have compute resources we can grab on an agile basis. Is that why? Or has just the the topic itself matured? Uh, I, th I think some of the uh, – for, for the low-code uh, developer aspect, it, it really developed out of that frustration where – uh, the business units really couldn't actually do the development and application deployment. Uh, additionally, when you take into consideration Agile, right, um, and, and some organizations do it really well in private sector. Government does it a little bit here and there, but generally doesn't do it very well. And um, the need to change these applications or these process flows on a dime um, became very important, uh, especially when you consider... Uh, the disruptors, right? So if you are uh, an, an, you know, a more established company, uh, such as 
Audi, right? Um, you start to see the rise of disruptors coming up in your space that are born in the digital age. They're usually an agile right away. They're born on an app on your phone, et cetera, et cetera. And so these companies then needed to come up with a methodology to, to counter that. They weren't born in the digital age. So, so companies like Bizagi kind of fill the gap there where it's like, okay, we can help you get there, and it's agile, and you can do it in less than two weeks, and it deploys both to mobile and to uh, your desktop. And, oh, by the way, it automates all the stuff in the background, so you can do, you know, RPA, AI, intelligent decision-making. Um, in fact, we're, we're really big in the uh, financial industry right now uh, for processing a lot of the financial transactions that are going on uh, with banks, uh, which is kind of where, you know, RPA started to get its chops in there and in insurance companies and whatnot. And so when you consider the bind, combined forces of the the intelligent process automation, the RPA, and the AI suite together, you start to get a sense of, you know, what's possible. Uh, cloud makes it that much easier because uh, – Oh, so I, I was confusing you. Yes, the cloud yeah. just makes that easier. Yeah. Right, because, you know, Bazaji is resident in the cloud, right? And, and in fact, um, you know, we're leveraging the Azure AI engine as a, as a resident um, uh, function inside of Bazaji. Um, but it makes also exportation of similar processes to other organizations possible. So when we start talking about like the federal government and we start thinking about, you know, uh, everybody's got an OGE compliance issue, right? Everybody's got an ethics uh, filing they got to do. Everybody's got to do their, their non-disclosure agreement filing, so on and so forth. And these, these things, that's in every single agency. Well, advent of cloud enables us to actually kind of take that process, leverage it in other areas without having to stand up in a whole other separate premise installation, a whole other separate set of design, et cetera, et cetera. Great. Let's uh, take a break. We come back. We'll talk about the fourth industrial revolution and, and ITIL and uh, robots and maybe even a little artificial intelligence. You are listening to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today, we are speaking with Drew Yanig. He is the industry practice leader, public sector at Bizagi. Welcome back to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today, we are speaking and joking with Drew Yanig, and he is the industry practice leader, public sector of a company called Bizagi, B-I-Z-A-G-I. And I'm a big believer in going to events and going face-to-face and meeting people. I was at an event yesterday in Tyson's Corner, I met one of my students who just got a big promotion at Audi, and I was just amazed how well my students are doing. I like hearing that, but I'm a big believer in going face-to-face and meeting people. So if if you're listening to this interview and you're saying, well, geez, I, I'd like to learn more about Pizagi and maybe about ITIL, and and, and so, so what options do they have here? Anything coming up maybe? Yeah, so uh, the Pizagi, um, uh, we're holding our public sector forum on the 12th of November at the Mandarin Hotel. Starts at noon. And it's free, so free is free is good. Um, so um, we're going to be spending the day uh, going over some of the use cases, talking about intelligent process automation, uh, showing our showing our wares, as it were, showing how we can actually take business process uh, um, uh, management and notation, um, you know, kind of design, and then moving that right into an application layer, and showing everybody how that works. And then hearing about some of our customers who are already using it and how they're using it and showing how they're using IPA today. Uh, and our, our, our wonderful RPA partners will be participating as well, uh, UI, Path, Automation Anywhere, and Blue Prism. 
Uh, so, you know, come on out and uh, you can learn a lot there. Uh, there's no obligation. Just uh, come down and uh, put on your thinking caps and learn about what I think is going to be the, the next uh, revolution uh, coming down the path here. This is really going to change the way everybody's doing business. So what kind of job titles are you targeting? Project managers? Uh, cyber folks? I mean, this almost is like people work in restaurants. I mean, this covers so many areas here, you know? Well, see, see, that's, that's, that's the beauty of the IPA revolution, right? Because because as I said before, some of the stuff that, you know, people were working in niche places, right? And they were doing like, oh, I'm going to do logistics, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do ITSM, whatever. What's going on with IPA is that these are processes that really can support nearly anybody. Uh, we're supporting lawyers. We're supporting cyber folks. We're supporting uh, people who are doing contracting work. We're supporting admin front offices. We're supporting manufacturing. I mean, the flexibility of the tools, pretty much if you can design the process, uh, we can build it and um, deploy it. And then if there are tasks that can be automated with it, uh, you can. chances are you can use RPA to do it. Uh, or in some cases, we're interfacing with other automation tools because there, there are other automation tools out there today that are specialized in what they do. Cyber is a good example of that. Cyber has a whole bunch of automated tools that you know can be executed to eliminate threats. But there are periods of time where it'll drop back out of that process and ask for a human interface, right? It'll also be taking artificial intelligence and starting it into there. So, um, but there is a constant workflow. And what we're really talking about then is kind of this orchestration engine. And it can be applied pretty much to any industry. Probably the only place that it won't replace is the waiter coming to your table, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but a lot of the background stuff uh, could be fully automated. And, and the nice thing about this uh, is that it frees up uh, a lot of the resources that you have that we're doing kind of boring, repetitive processes to be spending time on more creative aspects or the more more uh, hard-thinking aspects of the business as opposed to processing this form or processing that form, et cetera, et cetera. I'm thinking some targeted groups might uh, – but UiPath was in the studio three or four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And apparently they told me there's a group over at GSA that are meeting once a month and talking about robotic process – Really, really aggressively talking about that. Mm -hmm. And then I know there's a group of, of uh, Govies also that meet at George Washington University, and it's like the first Monday of the month, and they just focus on uh, our AI. Mm -hmm. And so this is, this is starting to bubble. It's almost like you can't – it's bubbling up from the – it's bubbling up and people want to know more, and this might be a place to take and, and ask someone like you. I mean you could go to this event – B-I-Z-A-G-I.com and register, and you could grab Drew by the tie and go, hey, come here. <laughs> hey, you, you've been here. You, you've been here, you know, and I want to ask you about the sensitive thing with this and, and you know, and, and look around and say, because I'm going to trust, get a lot of trust with you because you've been in some sensitive situations. I mean, yeah. and I think that's the advantage of going through events is that a lot of problems that my listeners have, they maybe not going to pick up a phone, they're maybe not going to email someone, but they go to an event, they see someone speak. They develop some credibility. They're having coffee. They can walk up to Drew and go, hey, Drew, I heard you on the air with that big mouth Gilroy. And, you know, uh, this may be something that it, it's a fit because I think it, it, back to the chef thing, you may go home and try to make dinner and see different things in the shelf and not know what to put together that can be automated. Right. Uh, and, and the nice thing about, you know, again, you can go to bizagi.publicsectorforum.com uh, to register. Um, but um, – it, the nice thing about this event is that it, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are you know, toying, as you say, with RPA and AI and some of the DPA stuff as well. And they're trying to figure out how to stitch it all together. And that's really what we're going to be talking about at the, at the uh, forum is 
you know, how do you bring us all together to, to form intelligent process automation to, to get that full orchestration capability? And, uh, I mean, and if you take it from, from beginning to end, I mean, you can, uh, if you look at some of the stuff that you can do with supply chain management, you can go all the way down to, you know, uh, triggering bot events and physical robot events uh, actually in a warehouse to retrieve items, pack them, and then push them back out, all orchestrated by one capability, right, uh, triggering other capabilities that already exist. Uh, I mean, the number of APIs and plugins that we've developed to actually interface with other tools and whatnot is actually uh, quite large, uh, and uh, we're very proud of that. Uh, so you don't also don't necessarily even have to uh, have to get rid of your old tool, right? You can often interface with your new tool. In fact, I had somebody ask me about, why don't I get ServiceNow? So you're saying I should get rid of ServiceNow? I'm saying no, but ServiceNow, for example, isn't necessarily going to trigger your employee onboarding process and your equipment issuance, right? Uh, we could also link it up with supply chain management capabilities. It's going to do a lot of the things beyond what the canned ServiceNow ITSM capability can bring to the table, uh, and it will do it much faster. From an academic perspective here, and this is just tapping your brain, um, digital process automation, robotic process automation, is there, is there a big line there between the two, or where, how do you classify them? So digital process automation is really when you take a process – often something that was a form before, uh, and you turn it into an actual digital uh, entity, right? So the process is still often run by humans, is still, you know, chunked through, but it's all digital, it's all in an app, if you will. Uh, and that's really the key, right? Because you know, we talked about the disruptors, right? So if you're looking at Uber, they have a process that's digitized, right? And everybody gets used to using that, Right. That's really the intent is to digitize your processes so that the user interface can go through it. Now, RPA, RPA will take repetitive human functions and automate them so the humans don't have to do them. So things that happen on a recurring basis over and over again, processing claims, for example, on an insurance company is fairly repetitive, right? Uh, not so much adjudication of claims, but processing of claims. That could be done by a bot. In which case, then, as you have the uh, customer submit it uh, through a DPA, a digital process automation, it'll eventually get to a part where an RPA bot is triggered to process it, and then it may come out the other end and back to a human for adjudication, and AI may inform that based on past cases and may make recommendations to the human on maybe how they might want to adjudicate it. So that's kind of an example of how you might use this. Um, that's really the difference. You know, I, um, I've done a lot of interviews on this concept called zero trust. Mm -hmm. Okay. And all kinds of companies out there talking about it and everyone's got a different solution for it. And it seems like what zero trust is trying to do is limit access to an application, maybe to a data, and then maybe look at uh, behavioral analysis of the person trying to access that data. But you, you get 20 or 30,000 people with these three different factors this gets to the point where it's so complicated that it, it, it has to be automated somehow. It's just like, mm -hmm. okay, so Drew is checking in from Hong Kong and he's using his Dell computer and it's at 2 o'clock in the morning and he's accessing a file. It's just these, these sets of rules, they have to be automated. And I think this is a perfect application. Is how do you – okay, zero trust. Okay, now let's do it. It has to be automated somehow and this process has to be part of it. Well, it, it, it's certainly true that as some processes get more and more complicated, you're, it, a human can't possibly do it in, in the speed allotted. Uh, but again, you need that kind of orchestration engine because there's many things involved in that, right? Uh, n there's no one solution that does everything. 
Uh, and it's kind of funny because um, um, one of the conversations I was having, at, uh, you know, before I left government was, well, you know, do we want everybody on the same tool? And the, and the answer that came back was, in this day and age, it's really not necessary, right? Because it becomes all about the data. So then it becomes, you know, how do we want to structure and orchestrate uh, those interfaces between the various uh, applications and data structures in order to facilitate outcomes that we're looking for? Uh, and that's really where we're at today. Uh, so it, it's interesting to, to watch as this evolves. And like I said, yeah, we're really literally on the cup of cusp of a fourth industrial revolution. The the workforce implications here are going to be pretty interesting. Workforce implications sounds like a time to take a break and come back to that topic. You are listening to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today we are speaking with Drew Yanig. He is the industry practice leader, public sector at Visage. Welcome back to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today, we are speaking with Drew Yanig. He's the industry product practice leader, public sector at Bizagi, B-I-Z-A-G-I. And if you're listening to this on the radio, it's a radio show. This is also a podcast. So if you want to subscribe, you can go over to Apple Podcasts or even Podcast One and subscribe to this. And have a lot of fun. Now, people don't realize this, but I just do Federal News Network one day a week. And uh, the rest of the time, I work with companies to help them create, improve, and promote podcasts. So if you want to know more about doing podcasts, you can go to a website called howtopromotepodcast.com and learn more. And I do monthly webinars, and they're free, so you can just sign up there. Getting back to the topic at hand, RPA and everything else. So I go to your website, Bizagi, and it says – we transform organizations through intelligent process automation. Mm-hmm. That's a good general statement. Let's get specific. Well, what about compliance? Can it work with compliance? Yeah, actually. Um, in fact, one of, the, one of the big reasons for doing IPA is compliance. Uh, traceability, the ability to actually uh, follow through the process to, to discover what was done, what wasn't done, uh, depending upon which process you're talking about. Um, and which compliance vector you're looking at. Uh, we certainly, like I said before, we work with a lot of um, banks, and Sourbrains Oxley is, is big in that area, and so we have to be, have complete auditability. The other little interesting thing about IPA is that um, auditors aren't necessarily a big fan of RPA uh, hmm. because RPA isn't immediately explainable to auditors. So when you add IPA into the process and then you have kind of a human aspect to it, it becomes a lot easier to explain to the auditor how the process is functioning, when the bot is triggered, what the bot exactly does, and how that comes back. And then you see kind of the niche together of the entire process. And then the auditor can say, oh, huh, huh. The other question that the auditors often have is about the AI engines. If there's AI engines in the process anywhere, well, okay, who's cross-checking the AI and how does the AI make its decision? Again, in an in a, uh, IPA environment, uh, you kind of mitigate some of that. Not all of it, some of it, because they're still going to want to know the internals about how, how is the AI thinking, how is it trained, uh, what is it learning, what are we teaching it, and those types of things. Uh, but having a human element in there as a kind of a check factor helps with the audibility so we can explain how did we arrive at this decision or how did we arrive at processing it this way or what happened when things went wrong? Uh, so um, IPA is is really cool for that. Uh, in fact, inside the Bazaji engine itself, if you wanted to know what happened with a specific case, 
you can actually go and see how it went through the process chain, what events were triggered, which RPA engines were activated, which AI consultations were made, and which uh, decision chains it went through. Uh, so that provides complete visibility to auditors, and they actually like it quite a bit. Uh, so we're, we're happy to provide that uh, for, for all our customers who have to go through those painful processes. Uh, and I'll just add in as another note here, we're also HIPAA compliant because our mm. healthcare buddies need, uh, need assistance as well protecting that uh, information. And maybe GDPR will come down the road for Govies. I don't know if it's important now, but that could come down the road. I'm listening to you. I'm taking notes. I'm thinking, trying to put this in perspective, and I'm thinking about sci-fi movies. And sci-fi movies, many times they have a, a gateway to the fourth dimension or a gateway to a time travel or something, you know. And so intelligence process automation maybe is the gateway to to use RPA and DPNA that will allow auditors to see what's going on. Maybe it's kind of like the 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 – the vision of the window or some mm-hmm. kind of a maybe a, some kind of a, a way to, to, to understand it better because if it's just robot process automation, I mean, an auditor is going to want to know more, aren't they? It's, that's yeah. not enough. Right. And, and, and getting into the details of the bot sometimes is painful. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, if uh, people want to learn more, are there, are there books out there on this topic? Are there, are there podcasts? Are there videos? Or where can people learn more about, you know, ITIL and, and this, this fourth revolution thing? So for ITIL, uh, fourth revolution, uh, fourth industrial revolution, uh, ITIL4, you can go to axelos.com. And Axelos is the home for A-X-E-L. all things. A-X-E-L? A-X-E-L-O-S. Okay. Uh, that is the home for all things ITIL and Prince2, um, uh, that, which is – kind of the uh, European standard for PMP, for, for those who are not familiar with Prince2. Uh, but they have all kinds of information out there available. Uh, they have communities that you can sign up for, for conversations and discussions about what's going on in the ITIL world. Uh, ITIL 4 only, uh, well, actually, I take that back. Uh, ITIL 4 um, Foundation's book, there's actual book, was huh. released um, about four or five months ago now. Uh, actually, February, so I guess it's a little bit longer than that. Um, and um, the other books are starting to come out to, to add more detail. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to watch because if you read the foundation book, uh, it talks about this in very high-level terms. And part of what we're watching from our perspective is how do they explain what's coming in the Industrial Revolution? Because we, we know uh, some of the communities in, in the ITIL world uh, are kind of still talking about ITSM in the same way they've been talking about it. And I don't know that this coming wave of automation, this fourth industrial revolution, right? I mean, people have heard and they kind of actually downplay, oh, yeah, I've heard about the Internet of Things, blah, blah, blah. It's been around for years, yada, yada, yada. Right? Yeah, I get it. But it's we're coming to a confluence here, right, where all these things start to combine and it's really going to change the way the world kind of operates. The interesting thing will be to see whether or not the remainder of the ITIL books actually covered down on that to the degree it's, it's possible. I mean, when you start to think about, we used to have ITIL experts, right? And you still will. Uh, but as we start to move towards citizen developers, right, where people are actually developing process work inside this low-code environment quickly and on their own, we start to decentralize who actually is controlling those pieces. So it's going to be interesting to see how the governance associated with that starts to develop and what the frameworks start to do uh, with regards to that because that decentralization is, is going to be a bit of a sticking point culturally. People are going to be like, oh, wow, really should I divest uh, control of all of these pieces out to the people? Uh, and to some degree the answer is yes because they're subject matter experts in their process in their area. 
In other cases, you're going to want to have some sort of layer on top of that because you want to know how those processes link together uh, because they often are chained, right? One leads to the next, which leads to the next, which leads to the next. Blue prism, that's the word I was looking for. Blue prism, yeah. Prism, I was thinking of a gateway. The word I was looking for was prism. Blue prism, yeah. So, and that's the company you partner with. So maybe yes. they understand what's going on here where intelligent automation is the key or the prism to understand the other three or four. Mm. I've had a company called Appian in the studio here. I know the mm-hmm. founder there and uh, known him for many, many years. And he talks about low code. Yeah. And when Appian talks about low code, I, I understand the culture. I know the people. I know employees there. So I get it. And if you look at other topics or other companies like BMC and ServiceNow, I am sure that if you call up ServiceNow, they'd say, oh, yeah, we slapped on a little AI on that one. It's great. I mean, the the difficulty with this term AI is that, geez, you know, I'm, I'm uh, John's hamburgers. Yeah, we're going to use AI next week for cooking. I don't know. It just seems like it's it's one thing to, to have a deep and thorough understanding of what business process automation is and, and maybe uh, IT. But then another thing, just to slap that AI on there, and it, it seems like that's not, your approach was completely different than your company's was then just as an add-on. You've, I'm sure you've seen as add-ons of competitors, different companies, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, in fact, that's uh, pretty much the modus operandi. Uh, we like to bake it in instead. Uh, now, you don't necessarily have to use our AI, though. We can still interface with other AI engines. Uh, in fact, in some cases where you've already established and taught an AI engine, uh, you may want to do that. And so, for example, in the, in the cyber world, many people have AI engines analyzing the traffic that's coming in and out, and they're not going to want to reestablish that. But we can still plug that into the IPA layer and uh, ingest that information and use it to inform processes and trigger RPA events and trigger other automation activities. Uh, so uh, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about uh, that. In fact, the, announce, the big announcement on the AI was at our Catalyst last week in Miami. And so uh, you know, a lot of folks in the industry really sat up and paid attention when, the, when that occurred. C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T, Catalyst, that's the name of your annual event mm-hmm. in Miami. And what's the name of the local event again? Uh, well, it's actually the Public Sector Catalyst, but to okay. get to it, you go to bizagi.publicsectorforum.com to register. Good. Let's take a break. Come back. I want to ask more about Microsoft and the Azure AI engine from Microsoft and, and talk about Visio and other aspects of uh, this new way to in- information. You are listening to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today we're speaking with Drew Yanig. He is the industry practice leader, public sector at Bizagi. Welcome back to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today we are speaking with Drew Yanig. He is the industry practice leader, public sector at Bizagi, and they deal with all kinds of topics involving uh, automation robotic process and intelligent process automation. Earlier in the interview, we mentioned Azure AI Engine, and I wrote it down, but I just want to come back to this topic of Azure and, and why. I mean, why Microsoft? That's a fair question, I think. Well, well, yeah, um, it's a fair question, uh, but uh, you know, Bazaji has been partnered with Microsoft for quite a long time, um, so it, it's proven very beneficial to us. Uh, we leverage their cloud environment, and uh, now we're leveraging their AI and the Azure environment as well. Um, uh, we found it's beneficial for a lot of our business partners because most of them are Microsoft shops. Um, and so the, the application actually runs on the, the Microsoft OS. Uh, it, 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 you can't, uh, although you can download uh, both Modeler and Studio for free, uh, it uh, doesn't run on the Apple iOS. Uh, so that, the partnership's been in place for quite a number of years, and uh, we've just found that it works really well for us and works well for our business partners. Uh, so we've continued on with that. Well, I had the pleasure of working with a lot of um, 
developers, and I've seen developers bring cots into work and work all night long, and mm-hmm. I've, I've seen everything happen with developers, uh, strange personalities. And, and typically, when I was with the room, and it was a Microsoft shop, and uh, you can't separate a developer from a whiteboard, so you're always talking to someone with a whiteboard, and they put something on the whiteboard, then they go over and, and use Visio. And then they, and then the headaches start, and they go back and forth. And you didn't tell me about this, and oh God, you didn't, now now what? Now you got to be compliant with what? You didn't tell me that. And back, and then you go back to the whiteboard, yelling and screaming, and working on weekends, and you know this whole drill. So, mm-hmm. so earlier before the conversation began, you talked about ways to even automate <laughs> this little process of yelling and screaming and whiteboard. So how does Visio fit in? It's Microsoft too. Yeah. Uh, so um, a lot of process uh, folks. Today are using Visio to do their designs, you know, drawing out the swim lanes, yeah. you know, where processes uh, take place, where decisions are made, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and and, and even Visio can be exported into to business process management notation, so it's hmm. nice, right? So you can do that. Um, the the cool thing though about Bizagi is, is that um, not that we are, we're aiming to replace Visio per se, uh, but we wanted to build that engine inside a modeler right up front. So that once you finish your design, you literally uh, just take that whole process and it moves right into studio uh, for the application build. Uh, that way there's no must, no fuss. Now, you can import BPMN into the Bazaji machine from an external source if you so choose to. But it's so much cleaner uh, to actually build it in Modeler and then just move right into the studio environment from there, design your database, establish the business rules and whatnot. Uh, and that way, and, you know, for me, that was really kind of the, the – that was the aha moment. It reduces yelling and screaming and fighting. I've been there. I fought it. Exactly. Uh, so, you didn't tell me, Drew. Well, you know, it changed. Well, you didn't – and yeah. then you got to go – now this allows that fi- a, a more agile approach. Right. And so if you need to make changes to it, you literally just go back into Modeler. You make some changes to it and then you, you know, go through the studio. It will run the test to make sure you didn't create any conflicts. Uh, and and uh, then you come out with you know an updated process. Literally, you know, in some cases, depending upon the size of the change, literally minutes later it's deployed. Uh, which you know, for for Scrum people, it's like wow, you know, holy crap, I can actually do something here now. Um, but you know, so so that that was for me the big haha moment. That was when the light bulb came out, and I was like, oh, this is this is the bomb. This is this is the future. This is where us business process folks really want to kind of start to work on this because it cuts out a lot of that. Back and forth conversation. Well, I've had the or, or the disappointment that the IT shop comes back eight months later with something that was not what you asked for. Uh, it almost seems like because I'm involved in this academic world that maybe this business process management and notation this this has got to be part of what the youngsters got to learn. This is this has got to be it. Yeah, in fact, uh, that's probably the future. Um, uh, you know, no disrespect to the existing frameworks and whatnot. The frameworks will still have their place. But uh, over a thousand universities have already downloaded Bazaji Modeler and are using it to teach BPMN2 uh, to their students all over the world. Uh, so you're going to see an upcoming wave of folks that have already been taught how to do this, how to how to use the the notation uh, structure. Uh, they'll be designing their processes, and I'll be honest: if you stand in their way of trying to do uh, what they know they can do now, uh, take that notation and move it right into a created application in you know, literally uh, a day or so, depending on complexity, right? If it gets really complicated, it'll take a lot longer. But uh, but you get the general gist, right? Uh, if you ask them to go back to, no, 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 just print it out, hand it to the developer, and then the fun will begin. I think you'll have, uh, you know, 
Insurrection, probably on your hands. A lot of of hot sauce. I'm thinking about this fourth industrial revolution. You know, back in the day, there was – in universities, actually, people doing writing code. But now, increasingly, it's like the best CTO I ever met was a guy who had a degree in environmental science <laughs> because he was juggling different systems and how they interact. And, and he was great at it because he didn't have a coding background. And it's almost like, well, if you can get away from the code and, and or, or low code, then you can be an environmental scientist with these different systems because what we're talking about here is is managing separate systems more than just writing code because it's almost assumed that you're going to use block of code or something and plug it in and, and how it's going to fit within within the environment. You know? Yeah, and it goes back to that citizen developer kind of sort of thing. So you're actually able to leverage the business uh, process experts, the SMEs on the topic, right, the guys who really understand what they're trying to do, uh, and they can focus on that rather than trying to figure out, oh, did I get the code or the syntax wrong here and – and is or am I working with Joe, the developer, and Joe's not listening to me, and Joe's arguing about what the next takes place next? Instead, it really puts a lot of that control right into their own hands, and, and that's going to be a, kind of a groundswell. Now, now having said that, that requires you know the people of today to do a little bit of training and a little bit of thinking. So, like you know, the ITIL experts of yesterday uh, are certainly not you know they've never developed or used a widget to plug into an RPA engine before. So there's a little bit of training that needs to go through that. And then if you go to the Visage website, you actually you know watch all the videos and get trained up on it yourself. And you can download Modeler and Studio for free and start playing with it today and see how, see how it works for you. I've been on the air here for 13 years. And I remember 13 years ago, I had an ITL, ITL guy talk. And he came in and he had a 8.5-11 sheet that was laminated. And he had like seven-point type on it. And he had all these different boxes and, and, and it was like, so, so that's how you comply is by learning these little complicated like uh, a map or a maze. Mm-hmm. It's just, it seems like that does seem like, you know, like 50 years ago because no one today, we can ma- ma- you know, laminate what? <laughs> it's going to change tomorrow anyway. You can't laminate anything, buddy. You have to hope and pivot and move and change. And so the question is, what implications will this have for the long term for the federal government? Well, see, that's 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 going to be the interesting discussion because the the federal government. Um, um, I mean, so the nice thing with because they they like their documentation, so they, they the federal government's really into their documentation and whatnot, and, and so to some degrees they talk about wa- uh, waterfall and they talk about agile and the government wants to do agile, and they want to do those types of things, but structurally they're not really quite set up that way, um, so. You know, the cool thing about modelers is it will enable them to get their documentation right out of the machine as we update it on a recurring basis. But it is going to require cultural change. Um, so, for example, some of the work that we're doing right now for the federal government, uh, we're doing a very small process uh, for an agency that I won't name. Um, and we're going to start there. And then we're going to do two iterations, basically, uh, where they're going to be able to spiral up and expand the scope and whatnot. And that really is a bit of a change for them. Um, I'm not saying that that's true for all federal government everywhere, but literally getting down to sprints and acting in an agile fashion, starting small and then building out, uh, I mean, it's it's no more big bang anymore. It's right to kind of like get something on the ground, get get the rudimentary process in place, and then start expanding it, start building the connections, start increasing the scope, start creating the linkages. And you can iterate your way through this over a, fer- a period of months, but the, the you know the bang there will be you can have something on the ground literally in you know weeks as opposed to what we normally see, and usually at a fraction of the cost. Which would fit in with another catchphrase called continuous improvement, continuous monitoring, 
where well things are going to change and it's it, it's not it's accepting that you know it's not going to be laminated it's going to be constantly changing and and this is one way that it can be implemented with different teams. Well, that's actually one of the really cool things for the ITIL folks because continual service improvement has always been like a tenant for ITIL, yet we've never really been able to do it. Uh, We talk about it a lot and we say we're doing it, but the reality is is that the application layer uh, was often unable to keep pace with the changes that we're looking for. Hmm. Wow. Let's take a break here and end the conversation. You've been listening to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy and Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'd like to thank my guest, Drew Yanig. He's the industry practice leader, public sector at Visagi. You've been listening to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy, managing partner at the Oakmont Group on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday afternoons at 1 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 